Welcome back to the Learning to Sit Still podcast. I want to thank you for taking time out of your day to listen. And if this is your first time joining me, welcome. I am so glad you could be here today. Be sure to hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. And if you enjoy this episode, would you share it with a friend? You can also follow me on Facebook and Instagram where I share short devotionals as well as videos to encourage you in your walk with the Lord. If you are looking for some good resources for deepening your faith, just visit sitstillmydaughter.com where you will find blog posts, free Bible reading plans, and other helpful information. Don't forget about the upcoming ladies conference that will take place on April 20th of next year where we will have three workshops on the purpose and the power of the quiet place trust issues, and the distractions of the quiet place. Details about the event, as well as the registration link, will be in the show notes for you. There is also a contact page on my website where you can submit questions or prayer requests. I would love to pray for you or help in any way I can. All of these links can be found in the show notes, so be sure to take a peek after the episode. Are you ready for the answer to the Bible trivia question I asked you last time? Who was the mother who asked why her son's chariot wheels tarried? The answer is Sisera's mother, and found in Judges chapter 5, verse 28. Our question for next week is, which widow had a son who witnessed the prediction of the division of Solomon's kingdom? Which widow had a son who witnessed the prediction of the division of Solomon's kingdom? And remember, I will have the answer for you on the next episode. Today, I am excited to introduce you to a special guest, Hannah LaJoy Johnson. She dealt with a debilitating anxiety breakdown starting her junior year of college. The unforgiving perfectionist pressure she had placed on herself, plus the difficulty of her degree, plus never saying no to anything, plus 4.0 grades, plus several personal and family crises happening back-to-back peaked all at once, and she landed in the ER believing she'd had a heart attack. It was humiliating, and for her earth-shattering, and it was just the very first of many anxiety attacks to come. Desperately and determinedly, with the support of dear friends and most of all her good, good God, she researched and taught herself not only to cope but to thrive despite her hair-trigger anxiety response. She earned a degree, plus a master's, and taught college courses and private students in performance and communication for 10 years. During that time, she has coached hundreds of students in overcoming anxiety, wrote a book on overcoming performance anxiety called Butterflies in Formation, available on Amazon, and mediate a thriving private Facebook group, which helps anyone to rise above anxiety and depression with support and hope. She currently coaches women one-on-one to beat their anxiety in her 12-week course, Anti-Fragile. Anti-Fragile is a compilation of all the best stuff she has seen work and make lasting change in so many women of all ages. She loves her life raising her two Neverland babies with her husband Raymond in the Shire-like hills of Middle Tennessee. Anxiety is a real thing and something that we don't talk about much, which is why I invited Hannah onto the podcast. I know that anxiety is something I have experienced and it's not fun and it's made worse when you feel as if the problem is you, that if you just did this or that, you wouldn't struggle with it. Hannah does a wonderful job unpacking the difference between worry and anxiety, as well as some of the medical side, which is something I believe should not be overlooked. 
I hope you enjoyed today's episode. And if you know of someone who would benefit from it, be sure to share it or even on your social media page. So let's get started with our conversation on anxiety. Hi, Hannah. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super honored to be here. So, um, of course, everybody, I usually give a little introduction. So, um, FYI, Hannah is probably one of the first people that I don't know very well personally, but, um, for those that have listened to the podcast, you will know Charity Berkey's name. She was with encouragement from women. So, um, Charity is a wonderful friend of mine and she also does a podcast and I encourage you to listen to, cause you know, there are multiple good podcasts besides mine. Um, so, um, this is where I heard Charity's story and she, or um, Hannah's story that Charity was sharing and it was on anxiety. And I think this is a very important topic that does not get addressed very often. And, you know, I really enjoyed what Hannah had to say. And I think we're going to unpack the differences between anxiety and worry because the Bible does talk about these things. You know, we are, you know, be anxious for nothing, cast all your care upon him, but we are still human. And there are some things that the body does do to signal to us. So I really am just really want to unpack this with Hannah today. So we're going to just start with um, just telling us a little bit about yourself, Hannah. Oh, sure. Uh, well, my name is Hannah LaJoy Johnston, and I currently live in Middle Tennessee with my husband and my two little girls, both very little, 17 months and a little over three. Um, and I actually right now am teaching and I've created a course for women on how to beat their anxiety for good, how to get it under control for good, and all through a complete, very very strong Christian perspective. So not just psychology, not just science, although both are definitely there because you need both uh, to get your anxiety under control, but with a very, very strong vein of uh, the Lord, because I truly believe that while uh, anxiety, and I'm jumping ahead of myself, is not all spiritual problems, it can be, it certainly can be. And so that's one of the first things that we always uh, look into as we're working on our anxiety. But so I've been doing that for uh, a little over a year now, but I've been working with people with anxiety for goodness gracious, almost 15 years, ever since I had my anxiety breakdown. Um, back in 2009, I uh, started learning about it and then really quickly realizing that I didn't want to keep what I had learned to myself and that I wanted to start helping others, helping my students. Uh, I was a, a speech performance professor at a college, two different colleges actually, for nearly 10 years. And I got a chance to work with a lot of anxious students. And so got to get a lot of good practice and a lot of really amazing God-given success there too. And I love that. I think, you know, I've done multiple interviews and I think usually what happens is our journey often becomes the launch pad for us to help others. You know, that we're, we've taken what, what others have poured into us, who God has used to help us and what God himself has revealed to us in his word. And we take that and we help. And I think that's just a wonderful way to do that. I think that's really what God intended that we each will learn different things. We're going to go mm -hmm. through different trials and we're going to have different strengths and we lend that strength to others mm -hmm. in need. So I think that's the part of what I enjoyed and really connected with when I listened to the podcast uh, on charities, um, encouragement from women, but so let's start with really, um, you've, you've alluded to it some, but how did you really get on this full path to just devote yourself to really helping women with anxiety? Sure. Um, 
it was, like I said, back in 2009, I was a junior in college and I went to this really great college that boy, they expected a lot from me. It was very strict just in its structure and in the way that they did things. So just a lot of demands there. I was a young college student as well. And on top of that, I was a performance major. So I did speech performance. So a lot of um, acting and public speaking and all of that speech interpretation, all of that. So anyway, I was on stage just about every single day. And so I was a junior at this point. So it had been about three years of that. And on top of all of that pressure, I was also a, a straight A student, <laughs> crazy kid, straight A student, plus the type of person who never said no. I said yes to every opportunity, whether it's because I actually cared about it and I wanted to help or because I just thought personal challenge, I can do this. Let me just go to, which turned out to be my pride, by the way, um, <laughs> saying I can do all these things better than that person. So I'm going to just go do it anyway. So I was under so much pressure at school that I had put myself under. And then some outside life pressure started to come in very unexpectedly. I, uh, that, oh, that summer right after 2009, let's see, I, I had found out that my parents, my wonderful godly parents had been married for 20 something years, suddenly were getting divorced. And I was blindsided by that. And then on top of that, my poor mother, who has recovered since then, by the way, thank goodness. And she's doing amazing, amazing godly lady was also suicidal at that point. And I was the one having to deal with all of that fallout. I lost my best friend that summer. Um, I started, you know, kind of clutching on and, and, and talking to a really nice young man who I thought, maybe, oh, he's going to help me with this. He's He's been my shoulder to cry on. And he turned out to be a literal pathological liar. Just one tragedy after the other, where I just felt completely broken down into absolute nothing. And um, just at the very bottom of the proverbial pit. And my anxiety just went through the roof. Uh, I started to become paranoid. I started to uh, struggle in my my studies. I couldn't perform anymore. My life was just falling apart. I felt like I was literally losing my mind. And that was when I I finally actually had some intense physical symptoms happen. Cut cut forward just a little bit. I was walking in a crowd at my college, and all of a sudden, I started to feel a pain in my chest and pain running down my arm. And I thought I was having a heart attack. And so my sister dragged me up to my dorm room and called the ambulance. And sure enough, I got wheeled out. They thought I was having a heart attack at age twenty. And uh, I get to the the hospital. They do all the tests and. A really nice doctor walks in. Of course, he had to be a handsome doctor and I look a mess. And he said, oh, honey, I'm so sorry. Just, you know, sit down. We need to talk. And I was like, okay, you know, am I going to die? And he said, no, no, you thought you had a heart attack, but you didn't. Are you a student? Are you a good student? I said, yes, sir, I am. And he said, well, that explains it. He said, you've just had your first, probably of many anxiety attacks. And he said, and I hate to tell you this, but you're probably going to have this for the rest of your life. And I was like, what? No, you'd think I would have been, you know, relieved that I wasn't dying without, you know, no, no heart attack. No, I was humiliated. I was absolutely stressed out. I could not believe that me, a Christian girl who loved the Lord, who had overall a really good family, had a great background, all these things going for me suddenly had an anxiety attack. I was breaking down. I couldn't accept it. Well, I ignored it believe it or not. I went back to school and ignored it. Um, more time passes. And then I'll, I'll cut 
as quick as I can, but this was so important. I, I got normally sick. I had like bronchitis or something. I go to the doctor on campus and I couldn't even look at the woman. I was so degenerated. I was thin. I was, um, my, I couldn't keep eye contact. I was just all over the place. Well, she saw very quickly that something was wrong. So she started to ask me questions about being depressed and about anxiety. And I'm like, no, 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 I have bronchitis. And she said, just, just answer my questions. So I answered her questions and she, uh, finally asked me to look at her. I looked up and she said, what is going on in your life? She said, I'm about to hospitalize you for anxiety and depression. She said, you're nearly a danger to yourself. Mm -hmm. She said, I'm about to put you on medication. She said, what's going on in your life? Well, I told her everything I just told you in more detail. And then the lady, I just couldn't believe this, just started crying. A lady I'd never seen before in my life, an experienced doctor, just doctor, just started crying for me. And she said, no wonder no wonder you're feeling like this. And I thought, well, I'm not crazy. And she said, no, no, honey, you're under incredible stress. She said, of course you feel this way. She said, you can't handle it all on your own. She said, I'm not going to put you in the hospital. She said, I'm going to send you to counseling. And I was like, no. And so of course that was scary for me. I went to counseling. The same thing happened. Wonderful Christian lady wept for me. Couldn't believe it. Um, I had been holding myself together for so long, just saying, pray more, do more. Why can't you hold yourself together? And these ladies were the first people to say, no wonder, honey, just rest. It's okay. And they kept up with me and they kept giving me encouragement and along with my friends and, and just really connecting with the Lord and, and everything. I started to realize this is not going to be my life. Like that doctor told me, he said, you're going to have this forever. And I said, no, I can't, because that means I'm going to have to change my major. I'm going to have to change everything in my life. And I'm not willing to do that. I'm going to find a way through this Lord. You're giving me this for a reason. And so I did, I started self-educating. I started reading everything that I could about it. I started going to seminars on it, started talking to people about it, being open and vulnerable and getting as much information as I could. And then realizing what worked for me. And then through that, uh, the Lord allowed me to not only just get better, but to thrive through it and be an incredible encouragement. Cause I just started telling everybody, cause they all saw me get taken out in an ambulance. They all knew who I was. And I was on stage all the time. People were like, that girl we thought was going to die. And I was like, no, just went nuts for a minute. And, uh, I was able to reach so many different people with this information because it was so public. And I was like, at very soon, very soon after I was so um, amazed at how the Lord had been using it. And after I became a professor, after graduating my uh, graduate work there, um, I was able to not just help, you know, just the, the random people with my story, but also my students who were terrified of telling people about their anxiety, terrified of being told that, um, you know, they're broken or that they're not spiritual enough or that there's actually nothing wrong and you're fine. You know, they didn't want to hear that. They went to me and we were able to work together. Um, and that's where a lot of this information has come from, from years of trial and error, years of study, years of seeing what has worked for me and for so many others of my students. And so that's the long story of how I got here, but uh, it's been one of the most incredible, incredible life-shaping journeys of my entire life. And I wouldn't change a single thing. And I, I, I remember hearing it from the other one and I just loved, I connected right away with so many things, but I, I like several of the things that you said, you know, there's that 
broken down, you know, how many people do we know that are broken and they're trying to function and they're frustrated, but it's like, you know, you're trying to drive a broken car. It's, you know, the car needs maintenance. There's things mm-hmm. that are going to be necessary to upkeep it. And we'll, we'll get into that more, but I liked the fact that you said you were open and vulnerable. <laughs> Those are two things that we have to do, but other people are essential to that happening. Mm-hmm. If you mm-hmm. don't create an atmosphere where people have the freedom, like you've got these students that were afraid to be open or vulnerable, they needed the help, but they weren't feeling comfortable. That's a reflection of us that mm-hmm. we're not creating a, an area where they can come and get the help they need. You know, we want to help people. I know that we have good intentions. We, we have that core desire, but we may not even realize that our own actions hinder people getting help. Mm-hmm. And that's so, so important. And then I love the fact that, you know, you basically were summing up with these doctors. It helps to have someone understand. Oh yeah. <laughs> that's that you have to saying, have somebody understand. Yeah. Like you said, you're not crazy. You are, um, we're going to get through this. They have, uh-huh. there's such a relief when compassion comes in. Yeah. 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 Nobody told me. And I was thankful for this. Nobody said, oh, you're normal. I was like, but I don't feel normal. They just said, it's okay. And this is fixable. Whereas the original doctor at the hospital said, sorry, you're stuck. Whereas these other ladies, interestingly enough, who knew the Lord said, oh no, we can work through this. I've seen it before. This is fixable. And I just remember getting so much hope and so much just understanding. And it was uh, incredible, incredible. I needed that, like you said, as a a launch point in order to get the strength to go on the journey to get better. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really your key word is hope. Mm -hmm. We are meant to give people hope. Jesus Christ came to give us hope, not just for eternal life, but for each day. Mm-hmm. that it it is mm-hmm. you know not going to be like this forever there mm-hmm. this is not the end this is a season yes there are difficulties and discouragements but we're going to make it we are yeah. going to get there through this he walks with us you know the the lord's um you know lord's my shepherd this psalm 23 is not rosy right <laughs> really i'm going to go through the valley yeah i'm going to go through the shadow of death these are scary mm-hmm. things he's painting this picture of real life. Mm-hmm. But he says, here's, here's what's good about it. I'm here. I right. will provide for your needs. I will walk with you every step of the way. And remember that it is a shadow. Mm-hmm. It is not going to touch you unless my hand says so. And then it's for your good. I think this is the overall beauty of the Psalm 23 is that the Lord is my shepherd, which means that nothing will happen that is not for my good. So And I love that, you know, when you move into Romans, when Paul says all things, your story was difficult. What you went through was harsh, but the fact that God says, I will use all for good is coming out in your story. Now that you're able to touch these women and give them that hope that they need to be that compassionate, understanding friend. And I think the last thing that I kind of drew away from, from that summary was the fact that we can't even see it. This mm-hmm. is, I think the hard part about anxiety, you know, we, we can't, we, we like to fight things we can see, you know, mm-hmm. if I've got a cold, I can take some extra vitamin C. If I break my leg, I know I have to rest if I do these things, but anxiety comes in and it's a great um, tool from Satan 
because it's oh, yeah. a little thing. It, it, it distracts us. Uh -huh. and, and it's confusion. Uh -huh. Exactly. Yeah. You can't think well, and I'll tell you why in a little bit when we get to that, why you can't think clearly and how we can take some of that invisible fight that we have and make it more visible. That's one of the things that I teach in my course is how to make something that doesn't feel really physical, make it physical so that you can fight it in a way that we can understand and just do in a minute, you know? And so it's, um, it's really, really amazing. Exactly. So, so mm -hmm. let's, let's launch into that. Um, yeah. what is the difference? Um, I have, you know, well, let, let, let's go with this first. What is the, the medical definition of anxiety? And mm -hmm. then how does that different, you know, from the Bible, you know, versus like be anxious for nothing, you know, cast are you care? How do we differentiate from the medical term and the biblical term? Okay. Yeah. That's a, that is a big question. Well, so I would say the medical definition, um, you could kind of, there's so many different medical definitions. It's the medical definition of anxiety is really the stress response in your body. It's your body responding to a threat of some kind, whether it be large or small, perceived or real. It really doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you think it's a threat or if it actually is. So we still have the same stress response. We often hear of that uh, stress response in the words fight or flight. We hear that all the time, that fight or flight response. There's actually a couple of other responses that are readily recognized now too. Fight, flight, freeze, or fawn. Fawn is the idea of just immediately trying to rectify the situation at any cost. So, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Let me fix this. Let me do this. Let me do that. You see that a lot of times, really sadly, in people who have been um, seriously abused. So we don't see that as frequently as the fight, flight, or freeze. Um, but those are some of the, the quick medical definitions. Now, just to make sure that we're all clear, though, a stress response is not a bad thing in itself. A stress response is actually a really, really valuable God-given thing. I mean, think about it. When you have an adrenaline rush, that's your stress response, um, responding to a threat. A lot of times when, when your uh, adrenal glands start to kick in during your stress response, you're getting all kinds of good things. You're getting sharpened focus. You're getting sharpened hearing. Your white blood cell count is rising quickly to deal with any wounds that you might sustain as you fight. Um, your uh, your digestion system in, you know, obviously in your stomach area shuts down and sends all energy to the rest of your body, like your, your arms and your legs. And also it helps your heart beat faster to get more oxygen flowing through your, your blood, your breath speeds up so that you can breathe faster. All of these different things are great. But you think about the people that have lasting anxiety and where they think this is a terrible thing. Those are the people who have that stress response at either inappropriate times or way too often. And so they're dealing with what's called adrenal exhaustion, adrenal exhaustion. And that's like, you might have a toy that when it's on, you know, nice, sharp, crisp batteries, it's doing great. It speaks clearly. It moves clearly. It does exactly what it's supposed to do. But when the batteries are dying, when you're on adrenal exhaustion, what does that toy do? It slurs, it struggles, it stumbles. It doesn't do what it's supposed to do. And it looks broken, but it's not, it just needs some new batteries. That's all. It just needs a little rest and some new batteries. And so that's how we feel, um, with the medical definition of anxiety. Uh, and then let me also just explain real fast. So that's what the body does. And then also let's talk about the brain, which I always like to make this, um, 
this clarification. A lot of times we say the body and the mind. I like to correct that and say the body and the brain because the brain is part of the body. The mind always sounds so nebulous, but the brain is the body. So we can talk about what's happening in the brain during a stress response, a super stress response where you actually experience anxiety. Your thinking will move from the frontal lobe area, which is your rational thought, where you make your decisions, where you think logically, where you feel in control, where you process your emotions, that it's going to move during that stress response to a more central area of your mind or your brain where you literally stop thinking logically, you stop thinking rationally, and you just think instinctually on how do I survive this? So if you do something that you feel like is so out of character, is so strange, I never would have thought that I would have done that during a stress response, give yourself a little bit of grace because you're literally not thinking clearly. You're not thinking rationally, you're just surviving. And so when people live in this, you can only imagine the panic, the stress, the exhaustion, the self-doubt that comes in, the, the feeling of I'm going crazy because our, our brains are not functioning fully or clearly. Now, how does it differ from Bible verses such as like, be anxious for nothing? Well, I would say that, of course, the medical definition has a lot to do with bodily reaction and symptoms but the verses aren't telling you that you're in sin when your body has a stress, stress reaction. I mean, because think about it. If I have a stress reaction to uh, somebody about to hit me with their car and I have a big stress reaction, I'm not sinning. <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's as simple as that. That's logical. I'm not sinning by jumping out of the way quickly with an adrenal reaction. Um, and also I, I feel like the Lord knows, I mean, just think about it. There's so many other biblical things that we can pull from. The Lord knows that the, the world is evil. There is going to be worry. There is going to be care. There is going to be stress. There's going to be opposition. All We're going to have trials. Every single one of us are. And it it's what we do with that stress. It's what we do with that worry is where it becomes right or wrong. I believe this. This is what I've been able to, to put together for myself. And it really helps me is when I worry, I need to add on worship. When I worry, I need to add on worship. Um, if I add on worship and I give that worry over to the Lord, cast my care on him, give it up to him. Um, then I don't feel like it's sin at all because I'm giving it to the Lord. I'm giving it where it needs to go. Now, if I worry and I just hold on to it, and even if I worry and then I worship and I say, you know what, Lord, but I, I, I'm showing you this, but I'm keeping it for myself. That's when we're being disobedient because the Lord says, give it to me, let it go, cast it away. Don't just hand it off, cast it to me. Um, and he says, you know, be, be anxious for nothing. And I think it's, don't keep that anxiety. Don't keep it. Don't keep that worry. Give it to him. And then I also add on. So you get your worry. It's inevitable. It's coming in our lives. You need to add on worship. You need to hand it over to the one who can actually do something about it. And then you listen for what he tells you. And that is usually either wait. Okay, you've given me your worry. Now it's time for you to wait. Or it's time for you to work. It's time for you to do something. Um, so worry plus worship plus wait or work. That has been the formula that has really helped me um, with my anxiety and, and my stress. Because we, we know that God called so many people righteous and of his own heart, people like David, Job, Mary, Martha, his disciples, and all of them have very specific examples of worry written about them. 
different degrees and some of them huge, every single one. Um, but we see what we did, what they did with their worry on whether or not they were in obedience or not. And um, when we, when we just hold on to our worry, we're doing what I've heard it mentioned before as stewing without doing, <laughs> we're just holding on, we're just stewing, we're not doing anything and it doesn't help us. It just hurts us. We're just sitting on this poison and it's not, it's not going to get any better. So instead, what do you do? You hand it over to the, to the one who can actually do something about it. Because if we were to say that worry was all sin, then my goodness, every single Psalm just about would be a sin cycle. You know? We, we would see, we would see David or, or the psalmist in sin worrying at the beginning and then getting better, which, you know, that, that may be the case for some of them, but I don't, I don't see that in, in the word. And then the last thing that I would say about it, I was thinking about this for a long time last night and just getting so much encouragement from it is we see the Lord as a shepherd. We see the Lord as a good father throughout scripture constantly. And I've learned so much about parenting finally as being one and then watching my husband be a father. And anytime his little girls who he, we love dearly, anytime those little girls are worried or stressed or going through something, when they bring it to their daddy, their daddy doesn't get mad at them and tell them, knock it off. Stop it. If he did, I would not call him a good father, to be perfectly honest. That's a harsh father. That's not, that's not loving, but in his love, he welcomes him into his arms and he says, all right, honey, trust me, trust me. I will help you. And now if they're still freaking out and saying no, no, and then it becomes a, you know, a little bit of a discipline problem, but we can go to the Lord. We can say, father, help me. I'm giving this to you. And he'll say, okay, trust me. I want you to wait or I want you to work. And if we say, okay, yes, Lord. And we do that. I don't see any sin there. Mm -hmm. it, it's handling it the way the Lord tells us to. Mm -hmm. And I, I think what I love the most about that is really, we need to understand um, what the scripture is truly saying. Mm -hmm. And then understand that we do have a human flesh, like a physical body. We're not talking about the sinful flesh. We're just talking about response mm -hmm. and the Lord created us with certain needs. We look in scripture and even Christ himself stepped away from crowds. He took a moment. He slept in a storm, mm -hmm. he did mm -hmm. these things. And that was, it wasn't because he was lazy or, Hey, I'm just going to catch. No, he was tired. You know, mm -hmm. every time he performed a miracle, every time he ministered, this is an outpouring of his, of his humanity. He mm -hmm. was human. Um, and I, I, as you were talking, one thing that came to mind was, um, and now I think everybody gets them all confused, Elisha and Elijah, nobody ever remembers, <laughs> yeah. which is which. but, um, when Elijah was weary and was exhausted and discouraged, the first thing God did was feed him. Yes. And I love that principle that God met a physical need before he even dealt with the attitude. He's, oh yeah. We will deal with this later. It will be dealt with, but we're going to deal with this first. We're going to meet you, your need. And I think we get wrapped up in coming with, um, the answer. Well, this is Absolutely. how it should be, but no, no, what's their condition? You know, you have to treat, um, 
you know, if I, let's say I had, you know, a, a sick horse, I can't expect it to run. It can't shake it off. I have to, to deal with the sickness first before I can expect it to do these things. And God, you know, he came to Elijah. He mm-hmm. came and said, um, let's, let me help you. And so I think these are things that we should examine. Mm-hmm. And I like what you said about that. And I think we really should hone in on that um, and never ignore that. You know, we are, we are a, a human being still. So let's, um, but let's talk about worry because mm-hmm. let's, let's be honest. Um, worry is, is tends mm-hmm. to be a natural part of life, but what is the difference between worry and anxiety? Really wor- worry can definitely be a part of anxiety. Worry can turn into anxiety, but not all anxiety has its root in worry. Like for instance, when I had my anxiety attack, I was not a worrier. I wasn't worrying about anything. I was just taking in trauma. (laughs) Um, I was just taking in too much. Uh, So I would say that a lot of people who are anxious, definitely it comes from being more of a worrying personality, or they might have real situations in their life that are causing worry, real hard things that are happening that are causing worry and trauma and stress, prolonged stress, especially. But there's, there's a difference. Um, I remember hearing it once like this. I love um, Dr. Henry Cloud. He wrote boundaries. I went and heard him speak just a few, uh, well, actually it wasn't a few years ago. Goodness, it was 11 years ago. I went and heard him speak about 11 years ago. And he said this, and I thought this was great. He said, the difference between just being concerned and just be, and being worried, he said, is this. He said, we see something coming at us, a problem approaching us. And he said, and when you're concerned, he said, some people say, oh, you're, you're in sin. You're worrying. Don't, don't worry about anything. Well, no, you need to be concerned about your life. You need to be prepared to deal with issues. So he said, you see a problem approaching, you look to your left and your right, and you see what resources you have. You gather up those resources and then you face the problem. That's being concerned. And that's fine. He said, there's no problems there. He said, now people start to worry when they see something coming at them and they do a couple of different things. Either they don't look around at their resources and they only fix their eyes on the problem. And then they just panic. They, you know, kind of stand there and and fight themselves. They, They try to run away or they freeze or they look around at their resources and realize it's not enough. It's not enough. I can't do anything about this. And then they don't do anything to fix that. They just stand still. So instead, um, what you can do to take worry and make it into just a simple, good, healthy concern is to look to your left and your right, realize maybe, oh, I don't have enough resources to deal with this big problem. I'm going to take some steps then to create more. Either I'm going to to work on this financial problem by, by working this way or by making this change or for goodness sake, just asking for help. Maybe your problem is I, I'm dealing with incredible chronic crippling anxiety. I have no resources to help me with this on my own. So I'm going to go and ask somebody else who knows what they're doing to help me. And so you're turning that worry into problem solving. And so that's where uh, some of the, the differences can come in. But worry can become anxiety easily when you have it for like length of symptoms, really severity of symptoms, length of symptoms and reason for symptoms. Um, So if, um, 
usually like worry has some kind of situation attached to it. Wouldn't you agree? Usually, usually a uh, normal worry has a situation attached to it. The higher st the stakes, the more worried you are about the outcome. Um, but if you are allowing worry to become your habit, then it's going to be the thing that you jump to and you're just going to stay in that mindset. Um, and it can lead to that adrenal exhaustion that we talked about earlier. And that's where it will become anxiety. Your body will start to physically have reactions where I can't handle this. I can't handle this mindset anymore because it's not just mindset. It's, it's chemicals. It's, you know, glands shooting off different hormones in your body and literally wreaking havoc in your body. And so it does start with the way we think um, and it helps our body, but there are also some really cool other ways to start with. If you're like, I can't get my, my mind under control. I understand that it's easier said than done hundred percent. But there are physical things that anybody can do to get their body under control, then get their mind under control. You said something about that earlier, that sometimes let's just get our body under control and then you can get your mind under control. And so that's, that's where some of those differences come in, because of course, what we think affects what we feel and what we feel always affects what we do. Mm -hmm. And I like that. I like, I did like the, the, the verbiage, you know, don't let worry really become a habit. And it is an easy thing to cultivate. And I know I always chuckle when I think about it, the, the Quakers had a thing. They're not allowed to worry. That was just, that was mm. kind of a rule, but so that's where kind of, they, they changed the verbiage. Well, I have a concern, right? <laughs> I love it. We're just going to change it, but there was it's, the principle still the same. If we allow it to consume us, it is a natural concern, you know, when maybe you didn't get paid enough. And the bills have now been there. Yes. In, okay. I, I am concerned. I will maybe worry about it a little bit, but there's, you know, but you can't stay there because like you said, nothing's going to be accomplished. I have to look around and say, well, what right. do I need to do? What do I need to trim down? Um, mm -hmm. So I really like that, that there is a difference between the two. And we know our mind is a key player. We know that that's why the Lord yes. tells us over and over again, you know, guard your mind, guard your heart, guard these things, guard these, these things. And, and, and of course you have people like, like Paul who said, um, so here are the things that you really should be thinking about, you know, whatever's good, right. lovely and <laughs> yeah. pure and, you know, but we tend to change that list out. Well, whatever we can worry about and gossip. And we kind of, we like to deal with, with that. And that's where our mind goes. And even those who, if you dwell on the negative things, if you're always seeing the, the glass half empty, these things mm -hmm. you think, well, that's just my personality. No, the, that kind of thinking will influence your behavior. It, it cannot, the two are intertwined. That's why Paul mm -hmm. said, don't think about these things. You need to think about good things. The, the mm -hmm. world has enough. And I, I, what was it? Um, I remember reading somewhere, but they, they mentioned the fact that even Jesus dealt with it in the sermon on the Mount. He said, don't worry about tomorrow because he said, there's plenty to think about today. Right. There's <laughs> lots going on. <laughs> That's really what he said. Yeah. Um, and I did, I think I was listening to, um, I'm currently reading the book or the audiobook, uh, having a, a Mary Hart and a Martha world comparing mm -hmm. Mary and Martha. And the, the person made an interesting statement that I will, will definitely think about later. But she said, um, what did Jesus say to us? Come unto me, all that are weary and, and, and heavy laden. But she emphasized a little bit of the word come. You know, Jesus invites us to come. Mm -hmm. And you referenced that, you know, earlier when we were talking about anxiety and, and worry and, and the medical definitions and even all that. Jesus wants us to come. 
with yeah. these things. That's what we do with our, with parts of our worry and our anxiety. We bring it to him and he, he's not he intimidated by an it. open invitation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's not intimidated, intimidated by our worry. He's not bothered by it. Um, other humans may get bothered by it after a while. Absolutely. But he never is. He understands he wants to help and he doesn't like to see us in that, that awful state. Mm-hmm. I, I'm a hundred percent convinced of that from my own experience and just, just from knowing his character. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I think it's, I like that word. It's he's never bothered. And I think that's usually what hinders most of us from going to get help is I will be a bother. And Jesus says, come, mm-hmm. he, and he, there's no stipulation on it. There's not, yep. you know, come, you know, weary, heavy laden, you know, come unless you're this kind of person or unless you're going to come every day. No, there, there's right. a limit. No, you can come every day, no. every hour, you come every minute. He's come because he knows that when we're in his presence, this is a, a, a critical state for us. We must be there. People like Moses, he glowed when he was in the uh-huh. presence of God. He, you know, yeah. you just, that's where you want to be in those moments. And I just, um, I think I, I'm just very you know, burdened about it because I know there, this is a common thing more than we realize. And there are so many broken people that are trying their best and they're, they're so broken even more because they feel like they're a failure. And we talked this and I just kind of wanted to bring this, we'll weave this in right now. I had a quote that said, anxiety Mm -hmm. shows that we are too close to the world and too far from God. And that is quoted by John Piper. That was a quote from him. Mm -hmm. I will say I was absolutely devastated reading that. I know that I I have struggled with anxiety and that, that adrenal fatigue. I've, I've been there from college. You know, I worked, uh, I was a, I was a 4.0 uh, student. I was a very, you know, one of those good students really mm-hmm. myself, but you know, the last two years of college, I was taking on average five classes, no less than five. And mm-hmm. I worked almost 60 hours. So trying to combine all that, I I could see I was exhausted, but you know, you just keep going, you keep going and your, Mm -hmm. your your body begins to react physically. And now you've got these things and you're like, am I no longer a good Christian girl? Am I, am I falling away? I'm reading my Bible. I'm praying. I'm trying to give it to the Lord. And then if, you know, in that kind of a very vulnerable state, if I would have read a quote like that, I think my soul would have been crushed. And said, so, mm-hmm. so now you're saying that I'm completely in, in the world, that I'm too close to the world and, and so far from God because of my anxiety. So what would, what, if someone came to you with that statement, what would you say to them? When people come to me that, with that statement all the time, either people who disagree with me and are challenging or people who are worried about it <laughs> and saying, what, what do I do? Is this, is this right? And that's hard because so, so much of what um, John Piper says, I think is is very biblical and very good, but I, I heartily disagree with that statement. I really do. And I feel like that people that make statements like that and even stronger statements than that, I say to, when they say that to anxious people that they are doing great harm. Like you said, they're doing great harm by saying that and by telling people that authoritatively or saying that the Bible says that because it doesn't say that. It doesn't say that in so many words. Um, I, I don't believe that it's biblically accurate. Like I said earlier, if that's the case, then David was in a constant cycle of sin in his Psalms by by worrying or begging the Lord for help. Um, so the real question is then, is anxiety only caused by spiritual problems? And I answer that with a loud, absolutely not. 
Now, I don't believe that all anxiety is caused by spiritual reasons. However, I do as someone who, who knows the Lord very, very well. And just, I do believe that to get through anxiety completely though, we do need Jesus's super, supernatural strength. I think that we need him in our lives in order to truly get through anxiety. Um, but anxiety can be spiritual. Absolutely. But is it all the time? No. Can it be? Yes, it certainly can be. And I actually teach this concept of um, what I call my anti-fragile, uh, that's the name of my course, anti-fragile four pillars. And that's where we look at the physical, the mental, the emotional, and the relational aspects of our lives to really try to nail down where's your anxiety coming from. But the first thing before we get to any of those is to look at the spiritual, your spiritual foundation. What does that look like? Because Absolutely. Anxiety can crop up from spiritual issues. Goodness, if you're saved and you are disobeying the Lord, or if you're living in sin, you better believe that the Holy Spirit is going to be pricking your conscience and, you know, trying to push you the other way. He's not going to leave you alone. And so, yes, that may be causing some agitation and anxiety. Absolutely. But if you can check your spiritual foundation and say, no, I know that I am doing what the Lord has asked me to do. I know that I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. I feel right here. Well, then let's go look at some of the other pillars. Let's start looking firstly with physical. Is there something going on in your life physically that we need to address? Do you just need to sleep more? Do you need to eat more? Do you even drink water? simple things. And then we go on to the other three that I mentioned. A couple of other ones as well, though, is situational. A lot of times people ignore that. Do you have something hard going on in your life right now? If you do, that might be why you're struggling and you just might need time. You might need to grieve. Like you said, you might need um, to thin out your schedule. You might need a little space to be alone and to work through and process some of these things. You might need some actual help to process through emotions, depending on what you're dealing with. But so many wonderful Christian women I've seen time and time again, just say, yes, but my situational, my situation should never affect the way that I feel. And I say, that's a lovely thought, but it's not humanly possible. Um, we're humans, we're not robots. And so we are going to be affected by our situation. Some people do really good with packing it down, but what you pack down always comes up. It always grows up. Um, you said earlier about uh, controlling the type of thoughts that we put in, the negative thoughts, because it's so true. What you pour into yourself is what's going to spill out. And so if you've got all of these hard, awful things that you're just packing down and not working through and not letting out at times in the appropriate places with the appropriate people, then you bet that it's going to explode eventually one way or another, and probably in ways that you wish you dealt with earlier. And so that's one of the things I like to do is try to catch people before they have an explosion. Sadly, most of the time they come to me right as they're having it or right after in a panic, but it's still never too late. They can still learn to to process from that point forward. Mm -hmm. And I think it is important to, and I, we want to reiterate, I know Hannah would back me. You want to seek help and, yes. you know, it, and I think this is something we would want to emphasize. There is no shame in getting help. There really isn't. And I think we need to remember that because, you know, it, it's embarrassing maybe to us, but not to that person who's listening to it. They're ready to help. They want to help. And I think that's something that we just need to be um, aware of that you can seek help. And I hope 
that if you hear of somebody getting help, that your first thought is not a judgmental thought. Like, well, how could they, aren't they spiritual minded? That is sad if that is your uh, response to them. So I hope that we would just want to be an encouragement and a blessing to them. So Hannah, we, you know, we're talking about these things that you, know, you kind of alluded to it about triggers to anxiety, as far as, you know, stress responses, all these things, but really let, let's try and, and hone in a little bit more about what, what really does, what are the triggers for anxiety? What, what are there that you can even feel are the signs of anxiety starting to build up and mm. what are some things, as we know, a, a, a large to-do list, these things can overwhelm us. Um, can we just kind of talk about what it is? How can we even trim down um, our our lists and really the fact that there is there's no shame in saying no to certain things? Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, I have an entire section on that beautiful little word and what you can say instead of saying that beautiful little word. But what are some of the the ways that you can kind of know that it's coming? The the stress is coming on or the agitate, whatever, you know, the, the anxiety is coming on. There, there are countless lists. I remember following this person on Instagram who wrote a A to Z list of anxiety symptoms. And I ended up unfollowing her because she was giving me anxiety. Um, hundreds, hundreds and hundreds. And she had people writing her every day talking about different symptoms, but things that can trigger for sure can be very unique to you. It can be anything. It can be something that's assaulting your senses. For me, noise, noise and repetitive sounds can trigger agitation, um, frustration, and a short temper in me. Um, I used to get very frustrated about back in uh, school. It just used to drive me crazy. But now just think about a toddler repeating the same word. It can be situational. It can be your health. One wonderful lady that went through my program recently has a chronic illness. And that is the main reason for her anxiety is she has absolute phobias about being in hospitals, about taking medication, about all of those different things that she has to have in order to survive her particular life. And she said, I can't have the anxiety on top of it. She's had amazing success. It's been incredible. Uh, and there's so many different things that can, that can trigger it. It really just depends on your life and what gets to you. So one of the things though, like you said, Sarah, is time, time and being overstretched and not giving yourself a place to breathe and not giving yourself time to not be needed for a minute to relax and just be still. That is a huge anxiety trigger. And so one of the ways that you can give yourself a little more time, like you said, is by exercising your no muscle is what we say that it takes practice. It takes intentional doing, and it sometimes even takes a little bit of preparation. And I often say, um, if you're one of those people who hates saying no, who feels like you're just letting that person down, then don't say the actual word. Then just say, thank you so much for inviting me to this. And you know, it, it needs to be something that's voluntary, usually something that's extra, something that's voluntary. We can't just walk away from all of our responsibilities. I can't just say, sorry, honey, I can't handle the kids today. Goodbye. You know, that's not right. That would be wrong of me to do. But if church calls and asks me to do yet another voluntary ministry, then I might need to say, guys, thank you so much for that, that ask. I am so honored. However, at this time, 
I am not able to do it. I'm not able to accept it at this time, but please ask again in the future. But at this time, I need to prioritize my family or I'm not able to go to this thing this weekend. Thank you so much for asking me, but we're going to have a family night that night. And I mentioned recently, I said, even if that family night means you sitting there with your dog or in your case, your cat and your you know potted plant, still family night. Okay. You need that time. <laughs> That's all right. And it's acceptable when you have people on the other side who get mad at your no, that's not your problem. That is their, problem. especially if you've been respectful, if you've been kind, if it's a voluntary situation and you say, you know what, thank you, but not this time. And then the other person gets mad as hard as it is to accept. It is not your problem to deal with. That is a boundary up in your life. No, I'm taking care of my, my needs, what I need to do in this moment. It's not selfish because you're not saying no to everything. You're not saying no to your responsibilities. You're saying no to voluntary things. Uh, I love the quote by Christy Wright. Um, she is a, a really great uh, time management coach and business coach. She says, a Christian one, by the way, she says a... An honest no is better than a deceitful yes. Mm -hmm. An honest no is better than a deceitful yes. It's so much better offered something to just say thank you, but not this time, rather than going um thank you but uh, okay okay and then later on being like oh I didn't have time for that or mm -hmm. oh I don't have the energy for that or I didn't even really want to do that and walk into that opportunity with resentment and frustration and all of those things and you have to glue on a happy face. And now all of a sudden you're lying to yourself and you're lying to a bunch of other people as well. So an honest no is always better than a deceitful use. I had to learn very difficultly to say no. When I first had my anxiety attack, I had a friend who walked it over with. And I remember her telling me, she said, Hannah, you need to learn these two words as well. She said, you need to learn. I can't. And I was like, but, 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 but I can't, she said, no, say it. I can't. Mm -hmm. And real fast right time for a quick, quick story about that. It changed everything. Mm -hmm. I was, it was, uh, I was being directed to go and do this really big, long speech. It was like 12 minutes of memorization where I was playing all these characters and doing all this stuff for I think 5,000 people in an audience that was supposed to be doing the church service. And I was in front of the director for a rehearsal and she said, okay, go ahead and give me the, the speech. I want to see how it's going. And I just stood there and my anxiety just peaked and it was just her and me in the room. And I looked at her and I couldn't remember a word of this thing. And for the first time in my professional life, I said, I'm so very sorry, but I can't right now. And she went, excuse me? Cause that was not me. You know, she said, what'd you just say? And I said, I'm so very sorry. I can't right now. I need to go and be by myself for about 20 minutes. I'll come back and I'll do my best, but I now please excuse me. I walked out very politely and she was flabbergasted. I felt such liberation and such freedom to get my anxiety under control, to go and breathe, to go and get a drink, to go and just relax for a minute and just to feel so free from that pressure. I came back into the speech and I was all right. And it ended up going fine for that 5,000 people, but I need to be able to say I can't. And it has been absolutely freeing. I can't and no are beautiful little words because when you know one thing, you're ultimately saying yes to something else. Mm -hmm. I, I love, I love that. Something and I think really good to totally always remember. Good. I love that. I love that Hannah. Um, and here's, so here's my question as we begin to wind this 
down. Um, what, what advice would you give to those who are in the midst of anxiety? They can tell they, they, they're, they're struggling with it right now. What would you say to them? I'd say, first of all, just like you said earlier, Sarah, that there is no in it. Get rid of that shame factor as much as you can. Just remind yourself when you start to feel shame that, that you are struggling with this, that that is a lie. That is a lie from the devil is get rid of that shame and acknowledge the fact that you are feeling stressed. And then I strongly uh, advise as well, write down what you're feeling. Now, don't write it out on social media for everyone to see. That's not what I'm talking about. Write it for yourself. Write it maybe for you and your spouse to, to look over together and to, to share with them um, if, if that's something that you're able to do or for a best friend or a trusted friend or a family member or whatever. But write it at least for yourself. Write it to the Lord. When you write things out, it's amazing how much clarity can come. And then also don't just write the negative. Don't just write what you're struggling with. Write what's going well. Write your victories as well. And you might start to gain some perspective. But banish the shame, acknowledge the fact that you're feeling stressed. And then the next simple thing is accept the fact that stress is part of the human life. So many people that come to me say, I want you to get rid of my anxiety. I want it to be gone, never deal with it again. And I'd say that's, I wish, I wish, but that's just not possible in, in a human life. You're not crazy. You're not broken. You're a human with a full purposeful life. Think about the things that stress you out probably the most. Those are probably the things that you care about the most. The things that stress me out the most are my family, my children, the, the state of my home, my job, all of those things. But those are the things that I love. Those are the things that give me purpose in my life. Um, so don't try to banish it. Let's just try to work on it. Um, and then some things to, to remember as well is that it's it's not abnormal. It's not strange. So many, and you're not alone. So many people are going through this. And then acknowledge it may be, maybe spiritual. It sure may be. Check on that. But once you check on that and you realize, no, it's not, look to other things. It may be medical. It really, it may be as simple as that. It may be medical. It may be physical. It may be um, situational. Examine all the things that you've got going on. And then lastly, I'd say just for here right now, is find help. Find help. Don't do it alone. Don't try to just do that by all means. But all, there's so much weird information out there though. Yeah, you have to comb through. Um, I, I was learning where Google was a big thing. And so there was a lot less information, more focused. And uh, now there's all kinds of crazy stuff. So get somebody to mentor you, to help you. Somebody who's going to remind you what path you should be on and somebody preferably who's been through it themselves, who can identify and understand and knows that. Um, it can be really difficult when you, when you grab a friend who is right in the exact same stage as you are. And you're both scrambling around in the dark, trying to find, where do I turn on the light? How do I get out of this darkness? No, find somebody who knows where the switch is. Mm -hmm. And let's see what you can do with that. But don't feel any shame and go ahead and reach out for help because this is fixable. It is not permanent. It is manageable. And it's amazing how much light in life there is on the other side of it. Now, I, I think that I like that word. It's manageable because manageable means doable. Mm -hmm. 
you know, if we say, well, like the, the first doctor, it's hopeless. Well, that, that did not give me any encouragement that gave me no light at the end of the tunnel that gave me nothing to work for. We do need a, a goal. We like to have something to work toward that. It's like weight loss. You know, if you do all these things and you don't, lo don't lose a pound, you're not going to stay motivated to want to lose the weight. You're just going to go back to your old habits. So you really want right. to be able to cultivate that and, and to know that it is manageable. It is doable. So, so here's my other, one of my last questions. I always have a lot of questions, but I think um, this is something that I, I strive to do in, in a lot of these podcasts, especially when we're dealing with issues like this, how can we help others in anxiety? It's really important that we, know how to say the right things because most of the time we say the wrong things we put our foot in our mouth and we just offer like my mm. friend said light and fluffy you know this is not light and fluffy time i need something that's more substantial mm -mm. and so i want to be equipped i want to be equipped when i'm with somebody what is it something that i can say to them that will really benefit them well one quick trick that's fantastic you probably hear it from anybody that deals with people with anxiety is the breathing breathing mm -hmm. your body under control and that sounds so simple and so cliche but it's true if you have somebody that is you know right there in your life and let's just say you see somebody next to you going through an anxiety attack and you think oh my goodness what do i do for them i don't even talk to them i talked i don't know what to do what you can do is i would suggest this um See if in contact, a lot of times they are. Uh, so if you can hold their hands, let them have something to grip to, that's all right. You can hold onto their hands. You can hold onto their arms. Let them hold on to you. If they're not comfortable being grabbed, that's fine. If you know them well enough, if you don't, it's totally okay. But hold onto their hands and then just ask them to breathe with me. Breathe with me. And here's the trick. Exhale longer than you inhale. So uh, a nice controlled inhale, doesn't matter if it's through the nose or the mouth, inhale, and then a long controlled exhale. It Deep inhale, long controlled exhale. The reason for that is, is it actually sends a sit to your stress response that it is no longer needed. And so it's immediately going to start to slow down down your heart, slow down your blood flow, slow down your breathing a little bit, and then get your mind to start to abandon that instinctual survival mode and move a little bit more toward the rational thought area. So that way they can start to think through and realize, oh, I'm not in danger. And you can let them know as you're saying that, as you're breathing, get them starting to breathe. And you can say, you're safe. You're safe. Because that's what they're terrified of. They're terrified right now. And the thing I think one of the things I say is to immediately say, it's fine. There's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong. Because obviously there is to them. And so don't dismiss it. Just tell them what they need to hear in that moment. You are safe. You're okay. I'm here. I'm here. Can you feel this? Can you feel that? And then start to ground them in. So get their breathing. Talk to them for a moment. Assure them they're safe. And then get them to ground into their current situation. What I mean by that is get their senses. Um, if you know what grounding is, it's the idea of um, getting them to acknowledge maybe three things that they can see, three things that they can hear, three things that they can feel or smell. And that is taking them out of the 
outside threat, whether it be real or imagined, and putting them right there in the reality, making them realize I'm here holding your hands with my feet on the ground. I'm actually okay. Wow. And it'll start to calm them down a little bit. So you can say, hey, can you tell me three things that you can see? Great. What about through here? And you can help them out with that. And that'll just start to give them a chance to calm down while you're helping them breathe. But I'm, I knew that you were going to ask this type of question. So I made a quick little to-do list and to-don't list. The do's are pray for them. Absolutely. Pray for them. Specifically, I love to pray for the opposite of what they say that they're experiencing. If they're feeling afraid, then pray for the exact opposite of fear. Pray for comfort. Pray for safety and peace. If they feel fused, then pray for clarity. If they feel unloved, pray for God's perfect love to surround them. Things like that. Um, help them find help. That's another do. Do help them find help. Don't just say, hey, you need help. Physical therapy places. There are so many places right here on social media that can help. Or you can send them to a really great um, you know, Instagram account or something where somebody will be giving them some information and that can be great. Next, once they've calmed down, do listen, listen to them, actively listen with no distractions. And also I would say no suggestions for now either. Just listen to them. It's just like the magic of them writing out their feelings. Let them get it out. Let them get it out for a little bit. And uh, you might find that they're already starting to feel better when somebody just listens. Like I said, offer that physical closeness when you can, if they're comfortable. Um, you know, holding a hand or maybe just a hand on the arm or something like that, an arm around the shoulders, that can be really, really helpful to have that, that sense of security. And then last do is do check in on them after that initial talk, check in on them by sending them encouragement and asking how you can help that doctor in that counselor who did that for me changed my life just by following up with a, a Bible verse, following up with an encouraging note saying, I'm thinking about you and praying about your situation. Um, a couple of don'ts real quick. We've kind of already hit on these, but don't immediately pin it as a spiritual problem. Help them check on it though. Don't, but don't immediately say, are you sinning? <laughs> People used to ask me that. And I'd be like, no, for goodness sake, no, I'm, I'm not, you know? And so it was just, oh, it, and it made you want to pull away. So instead help them, help them be a friend, check in on that, but don't immediately pin it on that. Um, also this, this may sound like not what most people would want to hear, but it's the truth. Don't over-spiritualize everything all the time. Before you send them Bible verses, they may just simply need to hear you say, wow, I'm sorry, that sounds hard. All they need sometimes is when they tell you what's going on, instead of saying, yes, but all things work together. Yes, that is true. We know that. And if they're saved, they probably know that. But you might just need to be like, you know what? I'm so sorry. That, that is so very hard. And at the end, then you can add in that hope. And just but we remember that hope. I hope that you can remember this, that the Lord hasn't left you. He's never going to. But don't just immediately down their concerns with um, over-spiritualization. That can, that can crush a person who's being vulnerable. And then don't compare your problems with theirs. Don't say, yes, I know I went through that and then make the thing about you. It's so easy to do as we understand, but try your hardest not to. Last two, like I said, don't tell them in the body attack that they're worried about nothing. They already feel like they're going crazy. And if you say there's nothing wrong, it's very important for anybody who wants to help. I had to learn this the hard way. Don't get in over your head as you try to help people. Be careful about becoming someone's official counselor unless you are ready and prepared for that. 
um, it may be best just to be a supporting friend to help them get the help they need. Because if you get in over your head and you've become that person's lifeline and then you suddenly realize I can't do this and then you have to cut it off for some reason, that person can really flounder and it can be um, a really heavy responsibility. So instead help them get the, the help that can really make a difference in their life. But just being a supporting friend is everything, everything. Well, thank you, Hannah. I, I think it's, it's, I always like to end more with practical things that are mm -hmm. tangible that we can do, because at some point we know we will either need the help or we are going to need to be helpful to somebody. And like Absolutely. you said, you can't help everybody, but God will bring people into your sphere that are meant for you to help. And we have to be aware of that. I think a lot of times we like to put blinders on because we don't mm -hmm. want to help. We don't want to be helpful, but that's what we're called to do. We're called to minister to one another. Uh, I love, um, and I probably mentioned it numerous times. People are tired of hearing on the podcast, but I don't care. I'm going to say it again. because It's so good. <laughs> so beautiful Swedish proverb. And it says that a joy shared is a joy doubled but a mm. sorrow shared is a sorrow halved. Mm. And I just love that. And I think, you know, God calls us to rejoice with those who are rejoicing. He calls us to also sit with those to weep. And mm -hmm. when we weep with someone, we're not sitting here encouraging them to fall apart. We're just letting them know it's valid. And I'm mm -hmm. sorry you're hurting. And I want to cry with you. I want to sympathize. And if we cannot have compassion on each other. We are not reflecting the love of God and we're doing a very poor job as believers. So I think, you know, I just really appreciate you coming on here. I appreciate all the things you've, you've um, said with us. And I love all the, the practical you've unpacked um, just some good thoughts. You've come, we've done some good comparisons between worry and anxiety, whether it's spiritual, whether it's, you know, um, is there something wrong? We, we do have a body. There are symptoms, just like you would tell somebody if they had a cold, well, you're just not spiritual enough. We would call that foolish. So there are <laughs> signs that the body gives for need and we need to Absolutely. be aware of that. So that's why, you know, the things that I just really cherished about, um, the conversation that I heard with charity's podcast. Um, and I encourage you to go listen to it. Uh, cause I'm sure there were other things that you talked about that were yeah. not mentioned here. Um, but it's just, it's just good to be informed, good to be aware. And I really appreciate your time that you were willing to come on here and, and chat You're with a perfect amazing. stranger. <laughs> I loved it. I love it. But, uh, so if people wanted to reach out to you or had questions about your course, um, I'll have your contact information in the mm -hmm. show notes so people can reach out. I'm sure you you would welcome any of those, uh, Absolutely. You mentioned at the earlier on, you know, we said that so many people say, oh, I don't want to bother you. That's how most of the emails get started to me. I'm so sorry to bother you. And I'm like, this is what I do. I, you don't even know how much I get delight from hearing from people. I just heard from uh, a previous client's mother today who wants to join the program. And I was jumping up and down in my chair because I'm so excited. It's never a bother. So please guys reach out. I'd love to hear from you, whatever you have, whether you want to join the program or you just have a question, I'd love to help any way I can. All right. Well, thank you so much, Hannah, for coming on here. I appreciate it. Thank you so much, Sarah. I appreciate it too. I don't know about you, but I was blessed by this conversation. Hannah was so open and honest. She also gave some practical tips on how you can help someone or ways you can help yourself. 
I loved what she said about worry, how it is stewing without doing. Isn't that so true? We hold on to things instead of letting them go or giving them to God or just addressing them. I also thought her statement about what we pack down will come up. It was insightful. So often we just push things under the rug thinking we'll either deal with it later or try to ignore it altogether, but neither really works. Can I encourage those who may be struggling with anxiety to tell a trusted friend or even reach out to Hannah? Her contact information will be in the show notes. She would love to help you move forward. My friends, anxiety is something that many, many people deal with silently. And when someone comes to us and shares their struggle, please be gentle, be a good, understanding, and kind friend who never will diminish their anxiety or make them feel bad. They trusted you enough to speak up, and we should behave in such a way that is worthy of that trust. As believers, we ought to be known for our compassion to all, both lost and saved. Remember that Jude tells us to have compassion that makes a difference. Let's be women who possess that kind of compassion. We may never even know the full impact it can have on someone. Have a wonderful day, my friends, and don't forget to spend time in the quiet place each day. Thank you.